Hello friends, and welcome to the Healing Ground Movement. Now for more content and bonus features, you can join us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, all of our content is delivered freely. So please consider supporting the show by donating via the link on our website at healinggroundmovement.com or liking and reviewing the podcast on your favorite platform. Enjoy today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my all-time favorite apps, Blinkist. I found out about this app when I was pregnant and didn't have as much time to read, particularly into those early years of mothering, and it has been a game changer. Blinkist brings you knowledge from top nonfiction and podcasts so you can learn anytime, anywhere, and the best part is it condenses it down into 15 minutes. You can either listen or read to key ideas from best-selling nonfiction in just 15 minutes. So you keep getting all of these great recommendations, all the parenting books, all the health books, all of the things that you know you should be doing and know that you should know more about, but you just don't have the time to read the full version. You can get the Cliff Notes version from Blinkist. They have teamed up with podcast creators to bring you key insights from podcasts as well. And there is expert curation, their handpicked recommendation tailored to what you're interested in. So the more you listen, the more specific your recommendations get. Visit healinggroundmovement.com slash resources for a free trial of Blinkist. I know you're gonna love it as much as I do. Enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Healing Ground Movement Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, and today it's going to be all about autoimmune disorders. Um, very excited to talk specifically about this unique avenue of care. There's a lot of blanket health and nutrition uh, advice that comes out, but interestingly enough, a lot of it turns out to be not quite so helpful for those of us dealing with autoimmune disorders. Mm-hmm. So we have Jessica Pico joining us today um, to talk a little bit more about that. So a little bit about Jessica. She is a certified culinary nutrition expert, certified holistic nutrition consultant, AIP certified coach, and she is based in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Through her online-based coaching program, the <laughs> I know I'm going to say this wrong, the digest, digestion method which is supposed to be a cute play on words with her name that I butchered. (laughs) She helps professional driven women struggling from the discomfort and pain of gut issues, including autoimmune based gut issues like celiac disease, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis, repair their gut, regain their energy and reclaim their personal and professional lives, which I know Jessica is going to be able to tell us a little bit about how these um, conditions can really stop you in your tracks. So Jessica, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here and I'm excited for this conversation. Oh, me too. Well, you you are a fan favorite. It was definitely recommended in by one of our listeners. And I know she's excited to hear all that you have to offer. Uh, so to get us started, um, tell us a little bit about your personal journey and what got you to helping others with their autoimmune disorders. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I've been in this field uh, since about the summer of 2017. It's actually my second career, Uh, a major health curveball in my life at the young age of 22, Mm -hmm. January, 2004. Seems like yesterday, but so long ago, uh, really changed the path of my health and 
for years later, then changed the direction of my career. And this is how I ended up where I am today as a nutrition <laughs> practitioner. But uh, back over the holiday season of 20 or 2003, uh, at the age of 22, uh, I started having some significant hard to uh, hard to not notice uh, abdominal cramping, uh, things showing up in my bowel movements, uh, you know, just very exacerbated gut or bowel-based symptoms. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother recognized them right away uh, because she had had the same health journey in her early 20s. And so within a few weeks, I had my first appointment, my first colonoscopy and first appointment with who would become my first gastroenterologist uh, in Edmonton, where I, where I grew up and was living at the time. And that uh, procedure resulted in a diagnosis of inflammatory bowel disease, or more specifically ulcerative colitis, which is an autoimmune condition. Uh, autoimmune conditions being where your immune system is not uh, recognizing a particular tissue or gland or organ as being part of your body and instead is attacking it and contributing to inflammation and symptoms and pain. Mm -hmm. And so with ulcerative colitis, your immune system is attacking the lining or the tissue, the cells of your large intestine, your mm -hmm. colon. So we can imagine whether we know a lot about this condition or not, <laughs> that this is very painful, uncomfortable, and uh, hard to deal with, to say yeah. the least, right? Yeah. Uh, so that, uh, that diagnosis was literally at the start of my final semester of university. So it was a lot. Uh, you know, I was entering my final teaching practicum to become a full-time elementary generalist teacher the following September. That was, you know, the biggest part of my university career that was just weeks ahead, navigating the inflammation. Uh, it took a good few years and everyone's journey looks different, but it took a few good years to really bring that flare, that active inflammation down into mm -hmm. a point of, you know, quote unquote remission where uh, medical treatments have this under control so that you can go on to live your day-to-day -day life as best as possible. So a lot to navigate in understanding what it was, how mm -hmm. it worked, why, you know, the nature of the inflammation, what I could expect to be feeling, what I could expect to uh, experience with the, the medical treatments and what had to happen there in order to see what my body responded to. And that in itself for those first few years uh, was quite the journey. So I really entered the teaching profession at 23, about eight months later, uh, learning the ropes of becoming an elementary school teacher, which is an incredibly demanding uh, thing in and of itself. At the same time, I was trying to get through the day, literally get through the day, learn how to fuel myself at a time where I was still learning what I could actually be fueled off, mm -hmm. fueled off of and be comfortable enough afterwards. So yeah, and and that's so much to take on. And I, I really think the point you're bringing up about learning how to even um, manage the symptoms. So for, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the idea of a flare, of having something in your body where all of a sudden it's like, you know, a, a trash can on fire, is that you know, at, at some point, it's not even just about, you know, you get an injury and you go through a natural process of healing from this injury. Like you cut your finger or break your leg or something like that. When you talk about, um, understanding what it takes to live with and bring it down, it's because untreated this autoimmune condition, any autoimmune condition will continue to fuel yep. itself into yes. larger and larger flames. 
So I, I, you were kind of talking around that, and I just really wanted to bring the focus back to the, how fortunate that you got in early diagnosis, because that's, that's a big piece too. But also, let's really understand that it takes a lot of learning because all of these autoimmune conditions are very individualized. Yes. You know, one person with autoimmune condition, you know, one person with an autoimmune condition. <laughs> yes. And yeah. that's such an important point. And I know we'll get into that further mm-hmm. during this conversation, but, uh, you know, two people experiencing the same autoimmune condition will not have this, the same journey. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so unique to your bio-individuality of your physical body, let alone uh, the nature of your lifestyle, the nature of your diet, mm-hmm. your medical history. I mean, uh, you know, now that I know what I know now mm-hmm. uh, and, and how much I've learned about how to nourish and repair um, to a comfortable position, these autoimmune conditions, you can start to, you know, put all the pieces together of events throughout your life that led up to that breaking point where mm-hmm. that autoimmune condition finally surfaced and showed itself and -hmm. resulted in a diagnosis. And that's what I love about empowering women today is making those connections, understanding how this came about, and more Mm -hmm. importantly, how to move forward from there. So, uh, so yeah, I would say, you know, for in my twenties, I mean, those are the prime years of your life. I was still dancing five days a week with a, a, a dance company on campus. I was teaching piano students and dropping that off as I started teaching elementary school students. I was, you know, trying to maintain a relationship and a social life. I mean, in those years of your life, you don't want to give anything up. You really want to be dabbling in everything you want to. And I'm definitely, you know, a true go-getter and very driven person. So for me, you know, those years was very much about how do I continue to do what I love to do (laughs) in some capacity, yet still make some compensations and adjustments uh, to not supercharge my immune system and, you know, drive my nervous system into the ground too. So that was quite a learning curve for me. And it took me several years to fully acknowledge, I'd say about eight years. I mean, fast forward from 2004 to January, 2012, that's really when I hit that rock bottom where uh, I had kind of been going, going, going and realized Mm -hmm. that Uh, I'm not doing enough for myself to feel as good as I can feel. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to continue living life like I did prior to this surfacing. And it's not that I can't enjoy the things I love to enjoy, but it needs to look different. And I really needed to uproot things and do do things differently. And for me, that was an eight-year process to, especially with diet, but Mm -hmm. also with lifestyle to say, okay, uh, this can't continue this way. I've got to do things differently. And that's really when my journey into getting into nutrition started, I mean, eight years later. I feel like that is sort of an undersold part of healing and coming to terms with autoimmune. I can speak for myself uh, specifically and then stories I've heard from my patients as well that like part of the journey isn't just like, ah, yes, here's what you need to do. It's also accepting that you need right. to do something differently. And, and mine, a lot of mine was during my twenties as well. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'm sleeping another hour. That's fine. And <laughs> instead of taking a whole overhaul on that lifestyle yes. piece to say like, you know, you, and, and honestly, everybody has bio-individuality, whether or not it's autoimmune or, or otherwise, mm-hmm. we all as a human population could be taking better care of ourselves. Um, but individuals who have autoimmune diseases, we just have a lower threshold of dealing. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And so that acceptance part is so big. So yeah. then 
what did the nutrition piece start to look like for you? And, and, and what do you teach now? Let's, let's dive into yeah, the next Yeah. Step. <laughs> so January, 2012, I, um, I had been in the teaching profession for about eight years mm-hmm. and a, a piece I'll touch on here is that I was really struggling to stay well because I was sharing the space with a lot of little bodies, common surfaces, uh, you know, buildings that share, um, a space with many people, hundreds of people. And so I was just, because I was immune suppressed, I was on an immune, immune suppressant and an anti inflammatory medication, uh, I was very susceptible to acute illness, cough, cold, flu, more bouts of strep throat than I'd care to admit, um, these kinds of things. And, you know, when I would get knocked out with acute illness, I wasn't back at work the next day or two days later. It was often four to six days I'd be off trying to bounce back from that uh, and get back to a position of where I was. So it was really uh, a roller coaster, maybe more of a hamster wheel over those years <laughs> of continuing to experience that. And that was just one factor that played into the part of what needed to be uprooted uh, with diet and lifestyle because I knew I could improve, um, but I really was struggling in that profession with autoimmunity uh, and starting to hit a wall in terms of I can't keep going like this for another few decades or more towards retirement. Um, And that's when that 2012 huge aha moment uh, really triggered, you know, what do I stay in this profession? Do I change professions? What would that even look like? I didn't even know what that would be. But what I uh, did know that I needed at that point in time in 2012 was a nutrition, a formal nutritional consult. And uh, so someone in my life at the time set me up with a nutritional consult with a healing institute in the US. And that was very eye-opening for me because in a 60 to 90 minute consult after doing the intake forms and such, my eyes were opened wide. And that was both uncomfortable, but exciting at the same time, which is always such an interesting Mm -hmm. dichotomy, but it really opened my eyes up to how, what I was consuming day to day. I was really putting the same things in my grocery cart, similar grocery list every week, shopping at the same place, going through the motions. I probably even had my pattern through the grocery store. I just, I wasn't exploring the diversity and abundance that whole foods um, have available to us. And I also wasn't connected to the ingredients Mm. in things that weren't whole food products. I was not reading ingredient lists. I was really just disconnected. I think that's the best word or ignorant to those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I was largely continuing to consume things I was familiar with from growing up in my childhood, maybe a few new recipes here and there, but I just wasn't connected to what I was fueling myself with. And that's probably the biggest piece of it. So that consult really opened my eyes to the abundance of foods that were out there that could be nourishing and fueling for my circumstances. And that I really needed to dig into this if I wanted to feel better. And my driving goal at that time was, and I had one single goal. I remember it clearly. I wanted to be Uh, off of an immune suppressant. I wanted to not be, I knew I was immune compromised, but I didn't want to be further suppressed with immune suppressant. I wanted to reduce the medication I was on knowing, you know, medical therapies would likely still be in the picture my entire life, but I wanted Mm -hmm. to shift how that looked. I wanted less potent medication in the picture, less of it daily. And I wanted to be able to come off an immune suppressant in favor of a lighter therapy, uh, which is where I am now. But that's, you know, uh, several years later from there in doing all of the work diet and lifestyle wise. So that, uh, yeah, that's how it started. 
Well, and that's such a great acknowledgement too, because I think one of the myths that comes out when we start talking about lifestyle, medicine, nutrition, sleep, and that is that it should be an all or nothing. We really can get into this binary argument between pharmaceutical interventions and, you know, our body's ability to heal itself in a natural environment. And the truth of the matter is it always lies, not always, but it lies somewhere in that middle area. And it's not just about flipping that switch entirely, but setting goals where you can have a more sustainable quality of life. And for you, that is changing the potency of the medication you're on, but not necessarily removing it entirely. Right. And I encourage and empower my clients about that too, because Uh there there can be that mindset existing in a lot of situations. And it's not so much about disregarding a therapy being part of the picture because it Mm -hmm. very highly likely will be. It's just, you know, how do we complement that or offset the effects of that on your gut health, for example, because, you know, those kinds of therapies are helping you in many ways, but they can also have impacts on, you know, your gut bacteria and the lining of your gut and that sort of thing. So we can Mm. offset a lot of that and still benefit from everything being in the picture simultaneously. So, so that's how it started. I started, you know, it kind of became a second full-time job at that point Mm -hmm. in time, but I knew it had to be done. So a lot of my time outside of my workday was spent, you know, getting into health food stores for the first time. I mean, this is 2012. I was, you know, early thirties, uh, getting into whole foods in Toronto, where I was living at the time for the first time, which was like mind blown at that time, um, Asian markets, you know, different kinds of, you know, more fresh farmers markets than, you know, the typical one or two grocery stores I was shopping at. So, you know, a lot of self-education about learning about these ingredients based on the recommendations I was given, um, you know, working with new recipes, food prepping in ways I hadn't before, just really expanding my awareness and knowledge of the scope of ingredients I could be working with and what was more suitable than what I'd been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, prior to that, I had still had a lot of refined and processed foods in my diet. I had whole foods diet, uh, whole foods as well, but not nearly enough, mm-hmm. not nearly enough diversity and color and, and freshness. So uh, it really was a turning point for me. And I'd say about three years into that, you know, self exploration, uh, it really became something that I just exploded with passion about. And that became the point 2015, at which I knew what my, the evolution of my teaching and education career would evolve into. I was Mm -hmm. wrapping up my time in Toronto uh, through a friend I was introduced to who would become one of my main mentors and who I work with on her team today, which is, you know, such is funny how it comes around full circle. But uh, I realized that, you know, I wanted to know much more about this. I wanted to know much more about culinary and holistic nutrition, women's health, gut health, autoimmune health. And so that's when I ventured back to school at 35. Mm-hmm. Um, upon moving back to Alberta and landing here in Calgary, where I still am, I, I enrolled in the Academy of Culinary Nutrition in Toronto, which is what I had learned about when I was living there. It was a great segue. Followed that up with the Natural Nutrition or Holistic Nutrition Program at the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition here in Calgary. And then since then have continued on with other more specific certifications in my niche and that sort of thing. And that's how I ended up with you here today. I mean, in launching my practice back in 2017, Jessica Pikesh Nutrition, uh, and really 
focusing in on empowering professional driven women who, like you said, in the intro are suffering from gut issues, including autoimmune gut issues who want to, uh, you know, experience the kind of significant transformation I have where, uh, you know, no active flares in several years, uh, remission mm -hmm. in a true sense uh, from my perspective and probably from the medical perspective too, but where diet and lifestyle are, you know, at the center of it and um, other things are complementing and supporting how I feel day to day. So yeah, that's uh, kind of how it's evolved over the last decade. Very exciting, but uh, love, you know, education is in my bones, in my family history. So as entrepreneurship, it's just kind of been the, the perfect blend of continuing to be an educator just in a different setting where uh, I'm not as vulnerable as I was and uh, more in control of my days and the demands because as we'll get into it, stress management, sleep, uh, exercise and diet, I mean, they all weave in uh, together with one another to support your health. So really designing your days in life, whatever that looks like for you uh, has to be in a way that supports these circumstances. That's fantastic. And um, kudos to you for all of the hard work that you put into arriving where you're at, knowing that so much of your journey came from needing to search and educate yourself so that you can help people have these answers um, at their fingertips. And right. I, I love seeing the transformation really over the last decade where we start to see a whole different understanding for chronic conditions of any kind where we don't have to spend so much time guessing and searching. Yes. Um, we have certified experts ready and willing to, to tell us what we need to do to make um, our choices for health and lack of flares and full remission uh, more sustainable. Yeah, so, yeah. So in like, that regard, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, like, I, like I share with my clients, like had I continued on that path, you know, which was fine for a few years, where I was, you know, taking the initial recommendations to me and then doing my own research. I mean, that is time consuming. I mean, not everyone wants to be deeply researching this when they have yeah. other things to be doing, families, kids, full-time jobs, that sort of thing. So uh, it certainly is a great way to start in empowering yourself and educating yourself. But my goal as a practitioner, as you, as with uh, you as a practitioner and any practitioner is really to help our clients or potential new clients you know, get out of the weeds and cut to the chase with what they need to know, what they need to do, what they need to start building habits about so that we can get you feeling your best sooner than later and not have you struggle for longer than you need to, which is really, you know, I did struggle for a long time. And I, my goal with my clients is to fast track that for them mm -hmm. uh, so that they're doing the things that are going to work and help them sooner than later. Yeah. Right? As a, I like to tell my patients, I'm obsessed. So you don't have to be <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so, because we so, can talk about this all day, but not everyone wants to, <laughs> which just blows my mind. Cause it's just so much fun, but yeah, <laughs> if, if you have other passions, we'll make room. That. <laughs> um, so you mentioned a couple of things that are part of, and I've, I've started just referring to them collectively as the really important tenets of lifestyle medicine. You know, we really need to stop thinking about these things as what has become a little bit of a fluffy term as self-care and taking that time for me, which to be sure they are. 
But honestly, the impact of it goes so much deeper than, well, wasn't that nice to this is the make or breaker as to whether or not you're going to be living in a moment of health or living in a moment of disease or a flare. Mm -hmm. So what, what are these aspects that you teach your clients about? Yeah, I really whittle it down to the dietary aspect, the exercise Mm -hmm. aspect, the stress management aspect, even like that's a huge piece, even more so than diet, I would say is the stress Mm -hmm. management, which is often underrated or, uh, you know, we don't realize how stressed or in, or um, in that fight or flight mode we might be until someone helps point it out to us or, Mm -hmm. you know, talk to us about how our day looks Uh, and then sleep, of course. So those are really the four pillars I look at, but also in addition to that mindset, because mindset is really where it starts. We have to be, you know, in more of a growth mindset than a fixed mindset. And that is uh, a lot of the belief shifting I help to support my clients with as I first uh, come into contact with them. We have to be able to be in a position to believe we can improve. And, you know, it might be hard to believe we can improve if we've been in a rut of inflammation and flares for so long. But what can come with that is just not having the guidance and the support and the accountability and legitimate, accurate information to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can appreciate why you know, mindsets might end up there or beliefs might end up there because if you've never been shown or encountered someone who can show you otherwise, um, then you just might not be there on your own. So, I mean, mindset's a a lot of it too, but the diet, the exercise, the stress management and the sleep, we can dig into each of those a little bit and I can really share with you you know, what my top recommendations are and and things to think about in each of these areas when it comes to any autoimmune condition. And the beauty of this is this, this really does extend beyond autoimmunity. I mean, these are recommendations that are going to support anyone, but they're especially important, especially with some of these dietary things when Mm -hmm. it comes to autoimmune conditions. So how does that sound? That sounds fantastic. And I love um, that you brought up that mindset piece. And I just want to touch that a little bit before we go into these other categories, because it's certainly what I have found as well is that it's not often the way that we talk about health and healing, you know, acute things. I have a cold, I, I broke a bone, what have you. We heal through those and we come out the other side. Mm-hmm. But everything else, not there's always the exception that's going to prove me wrong here, but I'll say very generally, everything else we talk about as a progression. We don't really talk about, and we're not indoctrinated in the language that says this too can heal, or Mm -hmm. it can heal to a certain degree that is more manageable. And that becomes almost this giant light bulb of awareness to even say, you have permission to think about your body in that it can heal, Mm -hmm. that this isn't something that you are stuck with at this level and perhaps will only get worse. You can write that whole half of the story that says, I can make this better. And the sky Mm -hmm. is kind of the limit. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. And and the beauty of a practitioner programming for you, such as Mm -hmm. how I do in the digestion method over uh, 16 weeks of time as an initial framework of support and how that looks after that depends on the individual is really like chunking down this instruction and empowerment one small step at a time. So we're building habits one at a time. We're 
we're gaining momentum with them before mm-hmm. we layer something in as opposed to, um, you know, having a picture in our mind that we're trying to uproot and overhaul everything at the same time. I mean, yeah. that's not realistic. It's not fun not <laughs> or enjoyable or sustainable. So it really is um, that understanding and awareness of what support can look like, mm-hmm. how it can work into your life, regardless of how full your days are right now, because it's so chunked down mm-hmm. uh, and that sort of thing. But uh, yes, right, fully on board with everything you just shared there. With mindset, so yeah, it's it's such a different way of looking, but I, uh, it's it's full of possibility and growth. I mean, why why wouldn't you jump in that deep end? Scary, yeah. but it's fun. <laughs> All right, for sure. Well, <laughs> then let's talk about. Um, so we said we said nutrition, sleep, movement, and stress. And as you talked about that stress management being really key and primary, uh, let's dive in there. Sure. Um, and then I will preface that I am super excited to talk about movement and exercise because um, that's my bias. Yeah, but exactly. Let's, let's work our way down the list. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, with stress, I mean, we uh, our nervous system is complex, but we do have these two divisions where uh, we have our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system aspects. And you've probably heard these terms, uh, your listeners, uh, fight or flight mode versus rest and digest mode. And in fight or flight mode, uh, you know, digestion, our body's not concerned with digestion at all. Digestion shuts right down. Our body's not concerned with that or reproduction, reproductive health, anything like that. You know, our eyes dilate. We feel there's adrenaline pumping through our system. Our heart, st- heart starts uh, beating faster. We might have clammy hands. I mean, think of a time when you were nervous uh, about something coming up. Or, uh, you know, if I'm hiking in the Rockies, what if I came across a wild animal on my path? Or, you know, if someone was walking down the street and you sensed, you know, someone was following you, or if you're watching, you know, your latest Netflix obsession and it's an intense drama, murder mystery, whatever it might be. Turn into the news. Yeah, Yeah. the news, right? Uh, The fascinating thing uh, is that your body can't distinguish one of these stresses from the other. All it knows is that it's being stimulated and under stress. So it's responding with those fight or flight responses. And Mm -hmm. so that really shuts down digestion. So if we look at what our days look like and how we're existing and how we're operating, if we're in that go, 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 hurry, hurry, hurry mode. And I speak directly from years of experience in that mode in my twenties and early thirties, and you're never stopping onto the next thing and a million tabs are open and we're literally never stopping to take a breath or feel how we are in that moment. Your body's being uh, constantly stimulated and in a state of stress as opposed to that rest and digest where we're, uh, you know, maybe we're in that Epsom salts bath or we're listening to that guided meditation as we, Mm -hmm. before we fall asleep, where we're calm, cool, and collected, where digestion is optimized. These are two very different ends of the spectrum. So Mm -hmm. I think how this starts is really some self-reflection and some evaluation. What do my days look like? How full are they? Uh, You know, I I help my clients to use different tools, whether it's time blocking or kind of a time management matrix where we can identify, you know, what do I absolutely need to be doing? What can be delegated out? What is, you know, important, but not urgent. I can kind of chip away at that over time. And what, what can just be let go of completely Mm -hmm. Uh, because less is more, right. Whether it's with productivity or stress. And it's really about, you know, having boundaries. I think that's the the key word here. And that's something I definitely had to learn to put (laughs) into place because 
It's the difference between getting to bed when you want to or packing in 10 more small things that evening and keeping yourself up a few more hours just to get them done where the boundaries start to blur and we start to you know, have just have too much on our plate and then sleep gets compromised yeah. as a result. So I would, uh, you know, ask your listeners to reflect about, you know, how do I feel in my body throughout the day? What are those things that trigger me and contribute to my stress the most? How can I work with them, delegate them out, let go of them, whatever it might be to ease up what's on my shoulders, what's on my plate and just simplify and streamline the days more so. And I think that's really important. And like I said earlier, a little bit of that is acceptance of that and being okay with that, which is yeah. definitely a process I had to go through too. Um, because yeah. We, yeah, we have to really, we have to get a grip on that. We really <laughs> do. Get a grip on it. Well, and it's true because it, it's taking a departure from the, um, you know, Wonder Woman, Superman kind of motif of we should be able to do it all right. and then some more and then a little bit more because you're helping someone else and right. we are meant to be self-sacrificing yes. and then a, a little bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I love your suggestion of reflecting back on creating those categories of what has to be done, what can be done slowly and what doesn't have to be done at all. Right. Um, and things that you can let go of, because there's a lot of oughts and shoulds that we take with us, where if we get really honest about that list, of course, we have the big categories about showing up for work and taking care of our families. And, and really we should be putting ourselves on that ought to mm -hmm. list. And that is what this is creating space for is by changing where other smaller things end up. Now you have room to put yourself on the, I, I really must take care of myself kind of piece. Um, but I do want to just pull back a little bit because you talked about fight or flight in a way that was just so clearly distinct that we've had other guests talk about fight or flight or the rest and digest. And you just said it so clearly that in fight or flight digestion and sexual health are not important because you are running away from something. And so I really love that you just put it so clearly because we hear about it in sort of this roundabout way that yes, stress is bad for your digestion. Stress is bad for intimacy. Stress is bad for all these things. And the reason why it's bad is because it makes them stop essentially. Right, and, right. And if you're in that prolonged state and then all of a sudden you turn to your body and say, Hey, I'd really love for you to have some functional digestion or, you know, it's date night. Let's get with the program. <laughs> your body's kind of going like, no, we're being attacked from 25 exactly. different directions. Why, why do you think we have time for a date night and some sumptuous cake? You're so wrong. <laughs> yeah, your body, uh, yeah, it, it wants to keep you alive in mm -hmm. that situation, even if you're not in physical danger. Uh, mm -hmm. And so this is why, you know, um, women might communicate to me, I'm eating so well, I'm sleeping eight hours, I'm moving my body regularly. Um, and, you know, I'll just make the connection here between fight or flight and digestion mm -hmm. and cortisol, our stress hormone. We we love to dislike cortisol and there are good reasons why, but I mean, cortisol is our stress hormone. It's designed to exist in our body at an optimal level. It has a rhythm throughout the day where it spikes at 5.30 or 6 in the morning so that you have, you're able to get up and attack your day and uh, be alert and awake to do so. And then it, you know, it gradually decreases into the evening when our sleep hormone melatonin takes over and those that hormonal shift allows us to fall uh, asleep. But mm -hmm. when we're in that fight or flight, we are spiking cortisol. 
beyond, you know, it's designed to spike and then come back down when we come out of that stressful short-term moment. But when we're not coming out of that fight or flight mode and we're operating in it more often than not, then cortisol remains elevated and remaining elevated over time spikes your blood sugar as well. It changes blood sugar levels Mm -hmm. in your bloodstream. So that just has a cascade effect uh, on our hormones and such. But, uh, you know, high cortisol over time is certainly impacting the the lining of your gut, the bacteria of your gut. It's a stressor on your gut. We can't really separate the two. So we really have to be in control of our stress so we can be more in the rhythm of where our cortisol is supposed to be keeping balanced blood sugar levels throughout the day, which we can do a number of things there Mm -hmm. uh, so that we're just eliminating that stressor on our gut. And that's where, you know, trouble with weight around the midsection, the belly fat, the stress fat can be Mm -hmm. there despite someone feeling they're eating really well, sleeping fairly well and moving their body. Their their body is inflamed because their body senses it's in danger and it's going into fat storage protection mode. So that's a common connection I see Mm -hmm. with my women in what they're experiencing. and, And that's how it starts. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned a couple of different ways where that stress feeds forward into these different aspects that are really important. Um, you talked about the high levels of sugar and, you know, that's the inflammatory piece that will also trigger cravings and affect the way we choose to heal ourselves therapeutically or not so therapeutically, but also then how that stress, if you're having that prolonged high level of cortisol without the appropriate drop that allows for melatonin to kind of rock us off to sleep, sleep sounds like it would be a lot more difficult with that right. high level there. Yeah. So that's so where talk, we get that wired, but tired, right? Yeah. So let's we, talk sleep and sure. maybe how we, we move off of our cortisol high and what we should be expecting from our sleep. Cause I know a lot of people like, oh, you know, I get six hours and I like a little groggy, but that's fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would start by saying that six hours, definitely not enough. It might feel like enough, but definitely not enough. Um, And before I segue into that, something you had mentioned that I'd just like to touch on in making this connection is is that self-care and making time for yourself. I mean, back in my 20s, early 30s, early to mid 30s, I was very all consumed with my profession and mastering Mm -hmm. my craft. And that was always first. And and the self-care was important to me. I was a very active child, a very active 20-year-old, uh, but it all—it was always in my mind secondary to making sure I had devoted and given everything I could to my, my workplace during the mm-hmm. day. And in the profession I was in, I was very much working outside of work hours, evenings and weekends, and just to keep my head above the water. So that self-care, it happened if it happened, as opposed to scheduling it in or having it first and everything else comes secondary. And that's a very obvious flip that's happened in my life uh, over the last decade, uh, which is another piece of self-reflection. But along with that was the sleep. It was, you know, I'll get to bed when I get to bed tonight, you know, by midnight, but certainly not as early as I should have been getting to bed uh, and surviving probably on five or six hours. Uh, And I know my sweet spot now is eight to nine hours and it was probably the sweet spot back then, but it just was being (laughs) neglected. Yeah, Uh, We really, we really need at least that eight hours of sleep and what that looks like in your household uh, will depend on the person. But uh, in most cases, it's, not, um, there's no option to get up later than you are with your workday or getting kids ready for school. It's getting to bed earlier, mm-hmm. which means shutting down earlier, having that unwinding time before bed, you know, anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes where my biggest recommendation would be to have that 60 to 90 minutes, not be stimulating activity 
uh, mainly in the form of that blue light exposure, right? Screens, personal devices, televisions. I mean, these are, you know, characteristically how society spends their wind down period between dinner and bed, right? Mm -hmm. One of the most common ways to wind down is to, uh, you know, Netflix and chill, right? Um, But that, you know, if we're already inflamed, we have gut issues, we have hormonal imbalances, cortisol is out of whack. It's just kind of adding fuel to the fire. So uh, my recommendations with my clients and and how I design my evening routine now looks very different than it used to. It's really, how can I spend that 60 to 90 minutes in activity that calms my body and my mind down? So by the time I hit the pillow, I'm not staring at the ceiling for two to three hours because Mm -hmm. I'm wired but tired with those hormones being out of whack. So um, maybe you can share your favorite evening routine things too. But I mean, some of my favorites are an Epsom salts bath with some essential oils like lavender or eucalyptus. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, those magnesium salts are incredibly relaxing for the muscles of the body. I especially love those baths uh, right before bed. And especially on a day where I've had a massage or exercise that's been maybe a little bit more uh, invigorating. Mm Mm-hmm reading, guided meditation, maybe like a puzzle or a board game, a walk outdoors, time with your partner, reading to your kids, whatever that might look like. But these aren't stimulating in the way that blue light um, technology is. And so once the sun goes down and it's dark outside, you know, that stimulation is especially stimulating. So Mm -hmm. if blue light blockers or that sort of thing aren't in the picture, if you're on a screen after the sun goes down, then those would be some of my favorite recommendations for how to really get into the groove of winding yourself down to facilitate a better sleep. Those are fantastic. A lot of my favorites too. Um, I, I'm a big fan of uh, music. We have a a record player that we'll put on some nights and just listen to some nice more records, um, and reading and winding down on the couch with my husband. Um, we do tend to watch a little more Netflix than we probably should, but this is a good reminder to keep working that out of the habit and to take those little pieces at a time. Right. Um, cause at the very least, what I will admit in my, I have room to grow too kind of category of life is that we will wind down watching a show that we enjoy, but we have now always left enough time that we will go upstairs and read um, on paper books, you know, now no blue yeah. lights off of our phones or anything and read. And that will be the last thing before bed, but there's still room for improvement there. Yeah. Um, and for all of us. And that yeah. sounds great where you're yeah. enjoying some of that. And then you still have something as a buffer in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not the thing that goes right up. Right. And, and what I love that you said before is that when you were pushing yourself up to that, you know, last minute before bed, but then you're laying on laying in bed, staring at the ceiling for two hours is that the, your body is going to do what your body needs to do. And your body needs, you know, that hour of unstimulated relaxation before it can actually calm down enough to go to sleep. And whether you give it to your body deliberately or not, it's still going to be there. So it's not Mm -hmm. like we're outsmarting our body. And again, it's that mindset shift of, why can't I, why can't I sleep? Why am I staring at the ceiling to this is my body asking to wind down. Could I do this earlier? And changing what these messages are. So that um, another thing you said that I just love the language of, it happened if it happened when you were talking about that self-care and going to sleep and changing that if to, I have planned it this way. 
Right. And it, it really does leave you with, with more fuel and more direction because you're not at the mercy of when is my body going to feel calm after sailing at the staring at the ceiling. Right. It's I gave myself my Epsom salt bath and blue light glasses and wind down beforehand. So we really, it is all in our control. We just have to listen to the messages a little bit more, a little bit differently. Yeah. And it goes along with what you use, like, um, through your messaging, that Mm -hmm. deliberate, deliberate self-care that Mm -hmm. those deliver that intentional, uh, you know, those intentional choices. And for me, I think it all whittles down to, and maybe a lot of listeners can relate to this is it really does all come back down to boundaries and realizing when, when one activity needs to shut down, that's enough for one day. The rest can wait till tomorrow. If you've prioritized what the few things you need to do that day for your Mm -hmm. day, for example, uh, you've kind of reached the goal of what needs to be done for today. All those extras can wait, shut it down, right? Transition into the non-work part of the day. Um, that's where time blocking or other tools can really help you see where your time is going because, yeah. um, you know, we can creatively, maybe more creatively in some situations, uh, attend to all these tenants or pillars of our health daily. If we know where our time is going and if we have the boundaries we need to, and if we're over scheduling ourselves or overdoing it to begin with, then then that's where we need to go back to and say, okay, like mm-hmm. I've ended up in this place because I need to let something go. What's the least priority, that sort of thing. But uh, um, okay. yeah, you're right. We can't outsmart our body. It needs to do <laughs> what it needs to do. And a lot of the women I speak to are suffering from waking up mm-hmm. once, twice, three or four times during the night. And that 10 PM to 2 AM is critical time for the deepest part of your sleep. So if we're the more we delay that uh, hitting the pillow beyond 10 PM, the more we're not only dampening our immunity, which is critical mm-hmm. for autoimmunity in, in, uh, in particular, uh, you know, that's when our liver is, you know, doing its best work. If we have imbalanced blood sugar or cortisol is out of whack or other hormones are out of whack, then we are, or our liver is congested. We're mm-hmm. going to find ourselves waking up through the night. And when we do, especially if we turn on the light or get up and get around, we're just spiking cortisol again. And mm-hmm. that's just keeping us up longer. So it's, it's a vicious cycle, but we can come out of that if, we have the support we need to balance those hormones, decongest our liver, mm-hmm. fuel ourselves in a way that uh, our blood sugar is not demanding fuel through the night. I mean, there's a lot we can do there. That's beautiful. And I like, um, yeah, it, it does come down to boundaries and making those deliberate choices. Um, I think that something that we start to see is that that kind of healthy self-care is not going to happen by accident in a culture that is high stress, um, high commitment, low movement, very sedentary and has only gotten more sedentary over the last few years and that promotes food that is not nutritionally dense. So all of these things, it's, it's a uphill, sometimes rebellious approach to our natural culture, but it has to be deliberate because Mm -hmm. of that. It's not going to happen by accident. Exactly. So, so as we think about the other things that we need to do deliberately and not by accident and with good boundaries, we talked stress management, sleep, and how about um, that movement aspect as well? Because that yeah. can look a little bit different for autoimmune um, than what we are traditionally told we need to do to move our bodies. Right, right. Yeah, with autoimmunity, I mean, I'll speak about this more with the mm-hmm. nutrition piece, but we know with autoimmunity that for that to show itself in the first place, we need to be experiencing dysbiosis. So really a disturbed state of gut bacteria where we have not enough good bacteria or uh, too much of the less desirable bacteria or overgrowth or infection 
within our gut bacteria. And we also have something uh, in place called a leaky gut or intestinal permeability where the lining of the small intestine where digestion and absorption finishes and happens is damaged and the integrity is lost. And so we really have to approach exercise from a standpoint of, you know, my gut is inflamed, my body um, is imbalanced, my immune system has gone awry, what kinds of movement are going to support me rather than supercharge my immune system, Mm -hmm. put more stress on my gut, make my gut even more leaky. Uh, And if I have hormonal imbalances, whether thyroid or sex hormones or cortisol, that kind of thing, uh, adrenal fatigue with uh, high cortisol over time, then we really have to approach this strategically so that exercise is working for you. Uh, And so that's where I help my clients to evaluate, you know, the types of exercise they're doing, the frequency and duration and intensity. And uh, although I have a background in physical education, I'm not a personal trainer. So I'm approaching this from, you know, that physical education background, knowing other specialists can come into the picture as well, Mm -hmm. but really, you know, rethinking those high, high intensity workouts, especially when they're of long durations, like Mm. 45, 60, 75 or 90 minutes, uh, those high intensity, you know, catabolic or aerobic um, activities are put a lot of stress on the body. And we do need some stress on the body in the form Mm -hmm. of exercise. That's a good thing, but it's harder to bounce back And it's also dependent on where you are at in your gut health journey, but that can just be doing more harm than good. So Uh, can can you tell us a little bit about, because um, I think we have this very black and white idea of, you know, high intensity exercise. It's just good. It's good for your body. It makes you strong, builds muscles, but what does it do on that more physiological basis, either to our gut health? And, you know, we, I've talked about this, um, I think in one other episode, when we talk about marathon and ultra marathon running, how that can put a lot of stress on our gut. Um, but what, what does this high intensity exercise do physiologically that while can be a good stressor for some bodies might be too much for bodies that are inflamed or dealing with leaky gut issues? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, it really, yeah, it comes down to where someone's at and what's going to be best serving them. So with our higher intensity activities, these are more catabolic forms of exercise, you know, running uh, for extended periods of time, biking for extended periods of time, swimming, uh, aerobic activity. Like uh, I remember doing Zumba classes, Mm -hmm. uh, HIIT classes, bar classes. I mean, you, 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 there are so many benefits to these things, but at the same time, they're not necessarily most effective, especially in autoimmune situations for long periods of time, as they would be for like shorter bursts of time, like 15 or 20 minutes, where you can have high impact with them without sustaining that intensity and and that elevated cortisol for a long period of time. So we might find that instead of building muscle mass and that sort of thing, that those extended periods of high intensity activity are actually breaking breaking down muscle mass and having more of an opposite effect Mm -hmm. uh, than what we're looking to have. And often when we're training with those kinds of things, uh, you know, if there's not enough recuperation time or rest time for your cells and tissues and muscle fibers to repair, then, uh, you know, if that repair time isn't happening, we can just be further breaking down things Mm -hmm. if we're in this rhythm of high intensity very frequently. So, um, you know, with more anabolic activity, you know, things with a shorter duration, shorter spurts, weight training, where we have control over the number and the sets and the reps and the rest periods in between, we can really build and maintain muscle mass and, 
and um, build up our body instead of breaking it down. So uh, this is going to look different from person to person, but what I really had to shift in my own personal journey, if this helps someone listening, is that, uh, you know, I grew up as a dancer. I was there at the studio four to five days a week for three to four hours at a time. So that was very much, you know, my life until my mid twenties. And then I continue with 60 or 90 minute dance based or Zumba based or bar based workouts. But uh, it really comes down to evaluating how you're feeling during that workout. And even more importantly, how you're feeling after in the, in the minutes after the hours after and the few days after And what I was starting to notice being immune, immune compromised, uh, and also having tired adrenals from high cortisol over time is that I was struggling to get through the workouts and I was attributing it to the fact that maybe I wasn't getting there often enough. So the <laughs> workout was kind of shocking my system. Mm-hmm. And at some point in the workout, I'd, I'd get into that zone where there was the less muscle burning and I was in that fitness zone and, yeah. and tapping into fat stores and such. But, uh, you know, the, it was a bit of a roller coaster just to get through the workout. And instead of, I was, you know, feeling more energized at the end, but very shortly after that workout, I was exhausted. Uh, and I just got more tired as the rest of that day got on rather than went on instead of um, feeling more and more energized. And I also noticed it would take me three or four days to bounce back and relieve the muscle soreness, even in fueling myself well. So those were really big red flags for me that those workouts, uh, as awesome as they might feel, I love to be dripping in sweat and feeling like you can't feel your legs because you've done (laughs) such an incredible workout. That's all I ever knew for so many years, but Mm -hmm. it just reached a point where I could tell it was doing more harm than good. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, again, acceptance comes into play. You know, that chapter of that kind of exercise for me has to be weaned off of in favor of all kinds of other things out there. I may not have tapped into very much or at all Mm -hmm. that can bring about the rewards without knocking me down. Yeah. So before we talk about what our other options are, because I think this was a really beautiful story to illustrate what I know a lot of people go through, which is to get past this idea of um, internalizing, which is kind of funny because we do need to internalize, but just a different way, internalizing that I'm not strong enough for the workout. And I'm not getting, like you said, not getting there often enough. I just have to get over this hump to get stronger, increase my cardiovascular. I haven't been working out for so long. Of course, it's going to hurt for a week. Right. These, These are things that we are told a lot when the reality is, again, our body is telling us exactly what it needs, which is not this, please. And when we talk about um, dealing with these high intensity, longer workouts, the things that they increase, you mentioned that increased cortisol again, which again, not to totally villainize um, cortisol because it is necessary. Right, we right. Not need that increase. But if you are already running on a high inflammatory um, status, adding more sustained cortisol is not a helpful thing. Right. If you are, you know, down in a low balance, that spike can be a healthy challenge, but we need to think about it instead. I am already challenged. I don't need another, I don't need to up the ante. I'm I'm good right right where I'm at. Um, And then something else that you mentioned that I'd want to spend a little more time talking about is that longer repair time, that having your muscles feel sore for several days after a workout 
you know, just to draw that very clear line between autoimmune and a suppressed immune system, that means our body's ability to repair ourselves Mm -hmm. and that exercise is damaging to the body again possibly in a very good challenging way, because then we can kind of go through, get rid of the broken cells, make things stronger, do a little cleanup, but your cleanup crew isn't working as fast as a non-immunosuppressed body. Yeah. More you want to add on. Yeah. That's a great analogy just Mm -hmm. to picture what's going on inside the body. And so, um, that's exactly it. So it's really, you know, what else can I do? And it, it it might not be that you, can't enjoy those types of activity at some point in your journey moving forward. But if that's where you're at in the moment, certainly a a red flag to be aware of and to address as opposed Mm -hmm. to pushing through it further. Uh, You know, if you're, you know, in remission and, and very stable over time, you might revisit some of those forms of activity when your body's in a greater state of balance and maybe for a shorter duration of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think those workouts were, from what I know at this point in time, more designed to be, you know, 15 to 30 minutes or so, as opposed to 60 to 90 minutes of, mm-hmm. of that intensity. So uh, we have to be cautious of that. But what I what I really needed to do was think about more, um, I still needed to have cardiovascular activity. I still need to get my heart pumping and break a sweat. I still need to have some resistance training in the picture to strengthen my muscles and uh, support bone density and that sort of thing. And I still need to have uh, restorative activity, which I really amped up. Uh, I was used to doing a lot of stretching as a dancer and enjoying yoga and Pilates, but it really um, came down to approaching exercise in a way where I was in control of the intensity and the duration mm. and the frequency so that I could incorporate my rest breaks when I needed to, rather than being in a situation where I didn't feel like I could stop and pause. And I had to keep pushing through for 60 to 90 minutes, which doesn't feel good. Mm. If you're in a class and you need to take a pause, and you don't feel like you can. Uh, I mean, nothing was stopping me from, but it's just that whole mentality of the environment you're in. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, I've certainly, this has certainly evolved for me over time, but um, I love hiking. I mean, I live close to the Rockies, but there's so many trails in my neighborhood. So for me, you know, first thing in the morning or at my lunch hour or in transitioning from my work day to my evening, getting mm-hmm. out, climbing uh, a few hills, in a half hour period of time, maybe some sets of stairs in my neighborhood at a really brisk pace really gets my heart pumping. You know, it it is natural interval training where you're climbing hills and coming down and climbing hills and coming down. Uh, And, you know, a half hour of that starting with some stretching, a warm up stretch, a cool down stretch, some squats, some lunges, some jumping jacks, some planks, whatever, you know, complementing that, you know, you can do a lot in a half hour mm-hmm. where I actually feel energized after a little bit of soreness, depending on what I did, you know, but I, by the next day, I'm fine to do it again, yeah. or I take a rest day. And then the next day I'll, I'll go for a long bike ride or something and do some of my own exercises to complement that. Once I get back to my home, um, if I'm, you know, things have looked different during the pandemic, of course, but, um, restorative yoga, warm yin yoga, you know, more slow moving yoga, as opposed to the hot, sweaty, dynamic yoga for 90 minutes. It's still enjoying these forms of exercise, just approaching them differently or in a different format, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, Pilates mat classes or Pilates reformer classes are great strength and core workouts where they're the the demand uh, is just slower moving and you're very in control of, of what you're doing in any given moment. So I think it's just 
thinking about, you know, what's out there that you can tap into that maybe you've always wanted to try or you see others enjoying and you've never tried it yourself to know whether you would love it. And I think that's fun and exciting too. I think so. And it really does rewrite what, um, what movement versus exercise versus what your body needs. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, it's this, what are the stories we tell ourselves and what is it that we actually need? And I had, and it's funny because I did, I didn't really realize I did this until this conversation. Um, you know, my listeners know that I have had a lot of health challenges throughout my life and a lot of movement disorders. So I didn't get to do um, a lot of the big high intensity activities growing up. I, I wasn't right. playing volleyball. I wasn't on a basketball team. I was falling over as a regular activity. But instead, what I chose to do, I started doing yoga at 10 years old. And I wow. kept doing, and I, I loved it. Um, you know, it, it, it really saved and changed the direct trajectory of my life in a way that I didn't really understand at the time. It challenged my balance. It kept my body moving. It kept me from leaning into these tight contractures of muscle tension that I was experiencing because of my brain injury. And I've done this my whole life. I've done walking, I've done hiking, all of these kind of activities, but I also always said I didn't exercise. And that is because to me and growing up and the expectation around exercise is that you are going to do high intensity dance. Oh, that's something else I got kicked out of early on. Couldn't like do anything in a straight line. Turned out that was not helpful. Um, but, But because I wasn't doing any of these things that we called exercise, I also thought that I didn't exercise. But the truth of the matter is, is that I have kept my body in good health and good strength and balance and coordination. I, all of these movement activities that I did gave me all of the benefits that so-called exercise were supposed to. Mm-hmm. I just never wrapped my head around it in a way that was inclusive. Right. So yeah. if that, that story feels familiar to anybody, we're, we're both here to say walking is amazing for your body and slow yoga, incredible. Go out and wander through the trees. All of this counts. You don't yes, have to yeah. be sweating in a mat room to be able to call it exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And that's definitely, mm-hmm. definitely a shift uh, in my own life in, mm-hmm. in, you know, being so used to, you know, a 60 or 90 minute period where you're breaking a heart sweat and feeling incredible being the only way you can have effective exercise. The more mm-hmm. you sweat, you know, the more intensive a workout you were put through, the better mm-hmm. the exercise it was where that really is, um, I guess I'd say a popular misconception. I mean, mm-hmm you know, what that exercise is doing for you is dependent on where you're at in any given moment. Right. And how it's benefiting you or possibly doing more harm than good. So yeah, it's more about like, how am I going to move my body today? I can't wait. It's not like, Oh, I need to exercise for 60 minutes at some point today before I go to bed. It's a very different, uh, frame of thinking, framework of thinking for sure. Get off your touch more enjoyable because the the movement you, whether you call it movement or exercise, uh, in your own life doesn't matter. You know, it should be at the end of the day, enjoyable. It should be something you look forward to, not something you're forcing yourself through because that's just stressful in and of itself. Uh, and that sort of thing so that it's doing all that it can for you as opposed to, uh, the opposite. Yes. Instead of tearing you down. Right. So we're looking for, um, do you feel good while you're doing it or is your body begging you to stop? 
And that is a legitimate thing that your body is telling you, not a sign of weakness. Um, Do you feel like you are suffering the consequences of your choices for long periods of time? Movement and exercise is supposed to make us feel stronger, more capable, um, more energized. So if you are worn out and, you know, hugging the bed, that's probably another good sign that this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and it's dose dependent. Can you change the length? Can you have that control? Um, just the way you were talking about, can you control what you are doing? So you can still do things that you love in a way that supports your body. Yeah. And, 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 and just to kind of wrap this section up, mm-hmm. uh, I think, uh, it, just like our diet evolves over time, our interests evolve over time, you know, I think I truly believe that our exercise or our movement and how we're enjoying moving our bodies will naturally evolve over time as well yeah. during different stages of life, during different periods in our life when our body can or can't do particular things as mm-hmm. easily as maybe we once could, that it should be a natural ev- evolution as opposed to trying to hold on to something for longer than maybe it's meant to be in your life, right? Yeah. We should have these different chapters, I think, of interest where we can grow and evolve and try different things based on what we need at any given moment in time. In time, so oh, I love that permission. That's amazing, and I think um, maybe we could take that same idea and apply it to to this last category, right. which is about food and therapeutic eating. And I think there's a lot of conversation that we can have with ourselves about. Well, I ate all of this junk when I was younger, and I was fine. Well, that was also a different phase in your life. And maybe that was slowly accumulating the straws that were going to break the camel's back. Yes, good point. So let's let's talk about what is therapeutic and nourishing food look like? And, you know, staying a little bit away from this idea of you need to diet more to you need to take care of yourself. So what is what does this look like? Yeah, I really like that point you made in terms of you know, with autoimmunity, you know, the imbalance in our gut bacteria and the state of our gut lining in our small intestine, which go hand in hand with autoimmunity surfacing in the first place is really brewing under the surface. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it was probably triggered, you know, at the young age of two with needing to take uh, antibiotics for severe ear infections. Uh, and, you know, and those kinds of medicinal therapies are needed in those moments given what you're experiencing. So for many people, the triggers or the catalysts that start to change their their bacteria or wipe out the good bacteria can start very young. And then I think of, you know, multiple rounds of antibiotics over the years, the birth control pill for a number of years, you know, a few bouts of food poisoning, you know, intense exercise that I loved at the time. Like all (laughs) of these things are brewing under the surface until uh, your body finally surfaces with these mm-hmm. symptoms in a, in a different way than you've ever experienced before. So, and, and diet goes along with that. I mean, I grew up as a child in the eighties and nineties, right? There were whole foods, but there were also a lot of refined and processed foods. There's a lot of things lurking in condiments and salad dressings and prepackaged foods. Uh, You know, reading the ingredient list looks different than it does today. We've come a long way with what's available (laughs) to us and our level of awareness to begin with. Um, But the diet plays a big piece. And I think the first thing we need to uh, become aware of and acknowledge, which is my very first step with clients is recognizing that there are gut health disruptors out Mm -hmm. there. Uh, And this is, you know, food and other 
um, environmental exposure. So I'll just touch on these, but we'll dig further into the food. I mean, any toxin or pollutant, pesticide or herbicide uh, on food, drugs, smoking, alcohol, in addition to food ingredients and beverage ingredients are all contributing to changing our gut bacteria over time. Mm-hmm. And, contrib- and then when that progresses and we have that imbalanced gut bacteria over time, that can start to damage our intestinal wall mm-hmm. and um, kill off the good bacteria there and loosen up the closures between the cells of our small intestinal wall lining, which is what a leaky gut is, or when we have a really permeable gut where mm-hmm. bacteria and toxins and undigested food particles are leaking through into your bloodstream and extra stimulating your immune system and putting it into um, that activation mode. So some of the biggest gut health disruptors out there, which uh, are things that are not part of my programming with clients and coming at this from a therapeutic functional food approach. Uh, You know, some of those key gut disruptors, especially with autoimmunity are going to be gluten, protein, uh, dairy, soy, uh, corn, and then the refined, uh, refined and processed foods and refined sugars, you know, all of these things, you know, with the gluten and dairy, I mean, these are commonly known about as things that a lot of people have removed from their diets or otherwise. Uh, They're not things we're well equipped to digest in the first place. Uh, Research shows that the gluten protein does wear away at the integrity of the lining of your gut, contributing to a leaky gut. Whether you're experiencing symptoms or not, it does have this impact. So being wary of that. Uh, And with dairy, you know, the lactose sugar or the uh, casein and whey proteins, we're not well equipped as a human to digest these to begin with, even with a healthy gut. Uh, So over time, with a lot of these things in our diet, we're really damaging our gut bacteria and our our gut lining is becoming compromised as a result. So, uh, you know, the gluten, the dairy, the soy, the corn, the refined and processed foods and sugars are going to be some of those key gut health disruptors where bringing those out of the picture so that your your body can actually be in more of an anti-inflammatory zone to start to repair and heal is really critical. And that, those are hard things, right? Yeah. I mean, that's where a lot of resistance can come in, in not wanting to get started or not feeling like it might be sustainable. And that's mm-hmm. where support needs to come into the picture to show you, which is my favorite part of what I do, the abundance of things mm-hmm. that maybe aren't in the diet that we can start to layer in uh, because it's not about feeling deprived or restricted. It's about capitalizing on everything you have available to you that is nourishing and therapeutic to you to the point where cravings drop off, you know, Mm -hmm. your body becomes more balanced. We're not even really thinking about these disruptors anymore because they don't build our health. They're more deteriorating in these circumstances. And we have so many other things we can tap into that we feel anything but deprived or restricted when we're tapping into everything that's available. And it's true. And so much of this has to do with uh, what we have grown accustomed to and what we are used to doing. So when you were talking at the very beginning of our conversation about the same groceries and even filling your cart the same way and going on the same path, that is a lot of how we choose food. And most people will eat the same few dozen things over and over and over again. So we have to acknowledge that some of this change comes from changing habits and then we have to change our cravings because we also associate them like, ah, it's dinner time. It's must mean it's pasta time or or (laughs) breakfast time. It's time for my croissant or picking on gluten here. But that these pieces, there's a lot of alternatives, but you, you do need to be gentle with yourself as you learn to appreciate and, and seek them out as normal. 
Um, and it's, you know, it's not easy no matter when you do it. Um, I just had to do actually, I'm, I'm, it's almost Labor Day as we're recording this. So I'm, I'm on my one year of dealing with AIP and leaky gut. And, you know, it's, it's a lovely gift um, of, of COVID long hauler, but also, um, as you talked about, a history of antibiotic use. It's, it's what saved my life as an infant, but it also, yeah. you know, yeah. I, you know I, I, I could really shake a nasty finger at this virus. But the fact of the matter is, is I was probably ignoring that buildup of, of potential gut health issue. I got a huge inflammatory hit and And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. So learning to remove all of these things from my diet, you also have to take the time to say, well, the first 10 things I think of when I'm ready to make dinner have these things in them because that's my habit. Right. What can we do outside of that? That is still very, very delicious. I'm here Mm -hmm. to tell you, Um, but it, it takes longer. It's more emotional labor to get there. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's where having the support, chunking it down, having recipes at your fingertips saves you, you know, having to Google this or Mm -hmm. buy a few more cookbooks or hope and pray that what (laughs) you, what you choose. I mean, these are all methods that can be used, but they're just going to uh, feed confusion or overwhelm or frustration. So uh, with my clients, we make a plan, you know, from a lot of my clients in all honesty, um, they are, dialed into their health already because they mm-hmm. want to feel better and do better, whatever that journey and time frame has looked for them. Uh, so to some extent or fully, they might have these things out of the picture already. They, they need to take it to the next level. But I do have clients who have these things in the picture and, and that's okay. We're just making a plan to reduce them mm-hmm. and gradually dial them out as we layer in alternatives that they come to love. And that's where the culinary nutrition training I did and in understanding the healing properties of foods and how we combine them and how we can literally make anything from scratch in our kitchen uh, that we love out in a restaurant or otherwise is so possible. But it is a process. It's not an all or nothing. Nothing is. We have to, we, I want it to be as enjoyable as possible because mm-hmm. in reality, it should be enjoyable. And I think when you, you dial these disruptors out of the picture and you start to feel better, that is your natural momentum to want to keep going. Yeah. And those are the kinds of wins, you know, working with clients brings is like, oh my goodness, like I never thought I could feel this way, or I never thought I could go you know, this many days in a row without running to the bathroom or not having a bowel movement, whatever it might be. Right. Um, so that's, that's a piece of it. And then some of my clients, you know, a lot of them are autoimmune, but some of them are not. So we're also with those gut health disruptors, just ensuring, and sometimes functional testing needs to come into the picture. Are there any, you know, issues of bacterial overgrowth, like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or yeast overgrowth, like uh, candidiasis, Uh, any parasites or viral or bacterial infections in the picture. I mean, these could go hand in hand with autoimmunity, or if someone's not autoimmune, they might be suffering from something that needs to be treated Mm -hmm. with a medical professional, whether it's uh, a gastroenterologist or a naturopathic doctor, for example, but it's really pulling out and addressing any type of gut health disruptor, food or otherwise, in order to start the repair. Uh, and healing process. And that's equally important to think about based on what kinds of symptoms they're reporting and how severe they might be. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and I think that really does start to give us the opportunity again, as we're listening to, I, I see this theme as we're talking through about just listening to our body, listening to what it's asking for is that we start to take some of these symptoms like, you know, the rush trips to the bathroom or the lack of bowel movements going at all. Um, there are some things, chronic headaches and, and brain fog. We didn't dive into the mechanism of how those things can come from our gut health, but certainly that feeling perpetually unplugged and running on low battery can come from that as well, that you start to see and associate that these things, these triggers because of either candida or leaky gut or SIBO or any of these other opportunities um, is making this undesirable thing normal to my life. Mm -hmm. And can I start to associate these two things so that my normal can be different? Right. And, and then it becomes even easier to distance yourself from it. Right. Glut, gluten will immediately hit me with a hot flash and brain fog where I feel like I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, I remember driving past a gas station because getting out of my car and filling up my car with gas felt like too much work after I had had some gluten um, sneak into my, my meal that that was it for my day. And right. that was a normal symptom. Right. until I knew where it came from. And now it's right. an abnormal consequence of that's not supposed to be here and yeah. how freeing that is. For sure. And I mean, mm -hmm. gut and bowel-based symptoms, I mean, we think of gas, bloating, constipation, mm -hmm. diarrhea, abdominal cramping, acid reflux. But like you were saying, you know, if we have poor bacterial balance and potentially a leaky gut too, or other gut-specific issues, bacteria or yeast or infection-wise, you know, the brain fog, the joint pain, the skin issues, that mm -hmm. sort of thing, they don't, you don't necessarily associate them with your bowels, but they are rooted in how your gut's functioning. Mm -hmm. Um throughout throughout your digestive system. So it does really extend and cascade into these other symptoms that we might not think of our gut about mm -hmm. when we when we're experiencing if we don't know that connection exists. So yeah. so yeah, that's how it starts and then uh the second part is really the next step uh with my clients and my programming is really re-engineering what I like to call re-engineering your gut terrain or re-engineering your gut function. And before we bring in or as we're bringing in those more therapeutic functional foods, we're looking at, you know, are the symptoms, the symptomology you're reporting to me through your intake form showing me evidence of possible low stomach acid or low digestive enzymes or vitamin or mineral deficiencies that are critical for regular functioning uh, in your body because we have to close those gaps and bring those things up to par so that you're actually breaking down your food into its smallest parts. Mm -hmm. And that's how we you know, reap the energy from the good foods we're, we're consuming. But if we're, you know, suffering with low stomach acid and low enzymes or our liver is congested, or, uh, you know, we have low B12 or low iron or low vitamin D or low zinc, whatever it might be, then uh, we can bring all the therapeutic foods we want into the picture, but we might not be effectively breaking them down as we can. So it's really closing those gaps and starting to support that sooner than later. And then, um, I take a very plant-rich paleo-inspired approach, uh, the approach that we see typically with gut health protocols like the GAPS diet or mm -hmm. uh, protocols for SIBO and that sort of thing. So we're really trying to keep things as diverse as possible. We have those gut disruptors out of the picture that really aren't doing anything helpful, but we're relying on a variety of fruits and veggies, uh, sea veggies, seafood, um, ethically sourced animal proteins, anti-inflammatory fats and oils and herbs and spices, uh, those raw unpasteurized ferments that help feed our good gut bugs. 
will typically come into the picture for people at different points in time when their gut is ready for that. And then with baking alternatives, uh, you know, what are those unrefined and unprocessed uh, options out there, which is a world in itself to discover that we can bring into the picture. Um, you know, nuts, seeds, and eggs are part of that paleo inspired picture. And like you mentioned with the AIP autoimmune protocol, that's kind of next level programming. If, uh, you know, a paleo inspired base is, um, working, but we still need to dial things in that autoimmune protocol, which I can help guide clients through just further narrows things for the short term to mm -hmm. help support symptoms and inflammation. So that's where nuts and seeds and eggs would come out of the picture. Mm -hmm. um, but for many of my clients, you know, they do remain part of the picture. We just have to pick and choose which ones and in what amounts so that we can retain the diversity, but still keep them as comfortable as possible without these uh, nutritious whole foods being too much fiber or too much yeah. roughage or that sort of thing. Uh, that's so that's kind of what it looks like. Beautiful. Well, and I love the acknowledgement that, you know, we can be eating the best and brightest and diverse food possible, but if the actual mechanism, the actual system is depleted when you talk about that gastric acid or having um, not enough of the right buggies that'll help break it down, or the buggies are in the wrong place, or we have that candida fungal overgrowth that is coating everything so nothing can get through, you know, the, the machine has to be working in order for the fuel to be received. Yes. So well said. <laughs> so the, yeah, so there's a lot of different angles and, and working with a professional um, can help save a lot of time, a lot of stress, because you, it is such an uphill battle sometimes to change your diet than to not see that positive feedback on feeling better too. Mm -hmm. And you might be doing all the right things, but have missed that foundational healing step. So I always recommend working with a professional because they're going to know by asking all the right questions and doing the right labs, what that crucial step is for you. So you don't have to spend years guessing and trying to figure it out on your own. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's where uh, the understandable uh, uh, frustration and confusion and defeat that I can appreciate in the women that I speak to comes into play where they've done, they've, they've taken themselves as far as they can on their own. They've, they've tried different things. They've eliminated things for periods of time. Maybe those things came back into their life because they didn't notice much of a difference, but it was just because the, the puzzle pieces kind of weren't arranged in the right order or gaps were missing while other pieces were in place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is a strategic process to repair your gut when these disruptors come out. So, you know, the steps might've been out of order, you know, and that yeah. is the reality of how this works. It's sequential. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is a reality for many people. And that's where that practitioner can help uh, close those gaps and really make those connections for you that, because you just don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I always like to point out as well, that it feels like it's a really big financial investment, but if you think about all the time and money you spend guessing, um, over a longer period of time, to me, the math works out. So that's just right. one more vote. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, Jess, um, thank you so much for all of this incredible information, these pillars of lifestyle, health and management, um, for, for general health and then specifically for where autoimmune might be different. Um, where can our listeners learn more about you, get more of your fantastic information? They're not done yet. Where can we find you? For sure. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram and my Instagram handle is at Jess 
underscore Pekush, P-E-C-U-S-H underscore nutrition. I hang out there <laughs> on a daily basis. You can also find me on Instagram. You can friend me on Instagram. I have uh, my Facebook page, Jessica Pekush Nutrition. I also have a private Facebook community called uh, Digestion Community for Women with Autoimmune Gut Issues, which you can find off of my main page or my business page. Uh, and that is a private community for professional women who are navigating these kinds of gut issues, autoimmune or not, uh, who are struggling to, you know, get through their personal and professional aspects of their day-to-day lives and are looking for uh, that those anti-inflammatory tips, tools, and resources. I do live trainings in that group every week, and that's really the best place to come to get to know me and how I could support you uh, as a practitioner, uh, if that's the case. Uh, and you can also find me on my website, jessicapikesh.com. And those are the main hotspots to find me online. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. Thank you for joining us and for all this incredible resources. I'm so thrilled to, to share your knowledge and experience with our listeners. And thank you all for joining and tuning in today. I hope that this has helped push you in the right direction, whether you are on a gut health or autoimmune journey of your own, or even if it's just looking at what are these boundaries and how can I start changing, taking care of myself from if it happens to when it happens by looking at those boundaries and those little choices that you make every day, because we, it's incumbent upon all of us to prioritize ourselves. So absolutely. Thanks so much for having me today. It was such a great conversation with you. Oh, my pleasure. And so we'll see you all next time for the healing ground movement podcast. Be well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.